From Coney Island to St. Mark's Place. From Berlin to Alaska. From on stage at Max's to Tai Chi classes. From Lou Reed to Lou Lou. This is Talkin' Lou. He's like, oops, I invented noise rock. Hi, I'm Paul Colantoni. And I'm Jim Callahan. And welcome to Talkin' Lou. Today we're going to go over... <laughs> Today we're going over uh, Lou's fifth studio album, Metal Machine Music. Yeah, and uh, let's just uh, throw order out the window. Let's go track by track right now. Come on, whoa, whoa. track one. What's on there? What's on there? Come on. What's uh, on there? Well, it's a lot of guitar feedback and electrical noise. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, what's track two? What's track two? It's some uh, noisy electronics. And track three. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. What's up? What's track three? What's track three? What's uh, track three, side C, is some <laughs> guitar feedback and some and noisy track electronics. Four? And track four, which we'll talk about later, is... Uh, it's oh, noise, it's noise, noise, noise. Yeah. Although, like, with that one especially, it the noise technically doesn't end. Yeah, it could go on forever. Yeah. It, but it we'll get the, to that. It has the infinity symbol on that one. <laughs> it does, yes. <laughs> uh, like we said, it's his fifth album. It was a double album uh, from July 1975, once again on RCA Records. They put out a quadraphonic version, and it was also available on 8-track as well as vinyl. It was mastered and engineered by Bob Ludwig. He's mastered recordings by over 1,300 artists on all major recording formats for all major record labels. Uh, he's worked with Led Zeppelin, Queen, Jimi Hendrix, Bruce Springsteen, Nirvana, Daft Punk, etc. So uh, nobody, so He has obviously. over 3,000 credits. Jesus Christ. Credits. I know, he's a monster. And I thought Bob Ezrin did a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, he's busy working with Alice Cooper in this, this is exact same time. Oh, okay. Happily. He's on Alice Cooper's first... Uh, Solo record. He took a uh, Steve Hunter and a uh, Dick uh, Wagner. Wagner. Yes, thank you. Yeah, they're working on that record. So it clocks in at sixty-four minutes and eleven seconds. If you don't count the run up, well, we'll let's go over. Uh... Well, when it was originally released on vinyl, like it was a practical joke, practically, or just or like a built-in feature that the last groove on the last side right like, it was a, a raised groove yeah so you had to physically get up and turn the goddamn thing off yeah so it's about a second and a half in between one and two seconds it just repeats yeah. on a loop over you get and over you again. do get a sense of that digitally it goes on like you i think could, they did it for a yeah, few minutes yeah on the it, it goes yeah. on for like two or three minutes and then and then it stops proper but you get a but it's not this, quite the same thing as what the original vinyl would have been and it sold uh, 100,000 copies, roughly. Maybe. Uh, but the the original edition was withdrawn within three weeks of its release because it was returned a lot. People thought their record was broken or there was a problem. Yeah. You know, it, they it produced was, it. it. It's it's like most, uh, most commonly known as Lou Reed's Fuck You album. Yeah. Fuck you to a lot of people. The fans, the record company, everybody. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of talk about it and articles written like was this to get out of a record contract? Some said it was a fuck you to his fans, uh, who had, certain fans had only wanted to hear his most pop songs. You know? Well, the the cover itself sort of like suggests, hey, uh, did you like a uh, rock and roll animal? Yeah, very... this is this is kind of what you're gonna be in for because he's he's got the bleach blonde look. He's got the the reflector shades on the the leather jacket. And his leathers, yeah. You got the big speakers like in the background, like and it like, looks like a live shot. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be like another really cool like live album he's doing here. He's doing something amazing. But and, there's no vocals on it. There's no. no notes even. Well, no played notes. It's mostly like I said earlier. Uh, from what I understand, it's basically two guitar amps and two guitars feeding back against each other 
with a few mics is what they said. So I guess that means yeah. about three. So they probably had one mic on each amp speaker cone, and then maybe one room mic. This is all put through a, a, a four-track four track four track tape panel, recorder yeah. uh, at his loft in Manhattan. It wasn't even in a studio and didn't need a studio no, or an engineer. Yeah, the legend is he spent a long weekend doing it, meaning he started on Saturday and ended on Friday. <laughs> That's a long weekend. <laughs> yes, a very long weekend. And he's still, you know, he's still taking lots of speed at this time. Uh, well, the, the full title of this record proper is oh, right. Metal Machine Music, an Electronic Instrumental Composition... The Amine B ring, mm-hmm. which that's it's a mouthful, but Amine uh, is a uh, that that was referring to this is the uh, definition I'm reading here. Uh, organ an organic ca- compound derived from ammonic by replacement of one or more hydrogen atoms by organic groups, which is a l- nice roundabout way of saying it's uh, how you uh, chemically make meth. Oh. B is the chemical sem- the B shown there is the chemical symbol for meth right. methamphetamine. Okay. So that's all that's as a it's a big convoluted like pretentious title. And then the guitars weren't in standard tuning. They were either in an open tuning, meaning it was like a chord tuned to a chord on each guitar or it was just all the same note. Uh, on every string like he had done in the past pre-Velvet Underground or in the early days of Velvet Underground. Yeah, specifically the primitives is what I I, I read. I thought that was pretty amazing. But really, I mean, this is like the culmination of stuff that he'd been like working up to in a way. Really, when you think about the way they used to play a certain... Like the first Velvet Underground record, the first two especially, European Sun just de- devolves into like pure noise as yeah, the album closer. Yeah. The Black Angels death song. Right, right. Big time. Like, uh, white Light, White Heat, Sister Ray just like is a long like 17 minute song that's it's got a rhythm but that just like devolves into noise. And even when they played live shows there were there's more than one instance where the band would just leave the guitars and the instruments up against the uh, amps and then just literally walk off stage for a while. Right, and then just be... let everything feed off that. So I mean, Which like, I'm a fan of. Yeah, it's this is one where it's it's not for casual listening whatsoever, but it's it it's undoubtedly inspiring to a lot of people. A lot of just you know. and like and just it as a statement, it's it's remarkable because who makes a double album of nothing but noise? You know, it's especially it's, at this time. About, about 70s, any, it's know? like this thing is like it's everything. It's everything you, you would hate about it, but everything you admire about it at the same time. And that's sort of Lou Reed in a nutshell for a lot of people. He's a guy, maybe they don't like him, but they can admire him from a distance just for, for the weird artistic statement he's making here. Even though this was definitely a statement made out of anger and sort of weird desperation and maybe to like get out, fulfill a record deal for sure, because this counts as two. This is this is a double right. album. This is sure, like yeah, yeah. so he's he's been like putting out an album a year. Nineteen seventy five. It's three releases, in fact, because we covered Lou Reed live that came out right before this, mm-hmm. and then this record, and then right after this is Coney Allen Baby. So it's, he's got three releases in nineteen seventy five alone. But it's it's exhausting at the same time for the guy. And Plus he, the um the Velvet Underground live album nineteen sixty nine. That's right. Velvet Underground that was the other was, one. Was in seventy four. Right. It's all, it's like all coming out at the same time. It's like he doesn't, he doesn't rest really. And he's, so, yeah, he's also pre, touring constantly. Sorry. A lot of things are happening at once. <laughs> and pre-Metal Machine Music, he's fulfilled, he's become a successful rock and roll star. Yeah, and, and that also sort of drove him crazy at the same time. It's that contradiction that he's living with all the time, 
where uh, he wants to be successful, but he only wants to be seen successful to certain people at certain times. It's it's the hipster uh, dilemma in a lot of ways. I think with Lou Reed, it's he wants the street cred always, right. and then you have like assholes, especially at this time, as we've mentioned before, like Lester Bangs or whoever, just saying like, "Ah, you're a phony," and it sticks in his craw to the point where like, "All right, well, like." I'm really going to just go out on a limb right now. And it didn't didn't necessarily set out to do this album right away. The beginning of 1975, he was going to make Coney Island Baby, the record proper, but he was basically told, no, you can't do that. It, it just, the, his old uh, tour manager and still boss, Dennis Katz, brother of Steve, when, he, when Reed turned in like several demos, one of which was called uh, Dirt, which which uh, Dennis took as like as a slight directly aimed at him. Dennis said like no, you can't do this. I don't I don't like these songs. We're not doing this. Go back to the studio and and Reed was furious, and uh, and then he just like locked himself away for a week or so and came up with this. Yeah, so basically it's a lot of electronic noise and guitar feedback. Like I said, and he's ex- he's experimenting with settings and guitar placement, and then mixed the results into four separate sixteen minute pieces. I've heard people say, oh, it's just the same thing on each of the four sides, but it's not. They're actually different. And uh, each guitar is panned. One is one of the guitar amps is panned all the way to the left, and one's panned all the way to the right. So you have different things coming out of each yeah. speaker. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, that's that's the, the easiest thing to say about it. It's it's a lot. But it was inspiring to a lot of artists, like all your noise artists. Sonic Youth was really inspired by it. Industrial uh, music, yeah. huge. Like, yeah, like Throb- Throbbing Gristle yeah. and all those acts. Atari Teenage Riot. My Bloody Valentine. Puppy. Yeah. Uh, the early Animal Collective stuff had stuff like this on it. Uh, and bands like Wolf Eyes. It's, yeah, there's a lot. If anybody that's ever like made like a noisy album owes yeah. a debt of gratitude to even metal some of the, the doom metal stuff like Boris or Sun. Uh, I mean, some mainstream acts like Nine Inch Nails and Radiohead have had elements of this. Sure, of stuff. yeah, definitely. Uh, and then some of those indie rock and post hardcore bands like Archers of Loaf and Drive Like Jehu doing the noisy thing uh, mixed with you know regular rock and roll. This is yeah. This record is it is. It's what gives Reed the unofficial title of Godfather of Punk. Yeah, because it's like it's such a punk rock thing to like make a thing like this and just get away with it, and like knowing that it's going to like not be commercially successful, but it's and it's not going to like appeal to people. It's not something even if you like it, you probably don't put it on like every day unless you're really going through <laughs> something, and in which case. Far be it for me to tell you how to live your life. That's fine. I get it. But I personally had not listened to this record beginning to end for at least 15 years. I'd never listened to the whole thing all the way through until this week. So, I mean, like, and this, I'll listen to it again. I mean, not right away, but yeah, it's, I'll listen to it again. This is like, experience. It's you know? a, like, I have like an, on my uh, MP3 player, I have like an excerpt of this, of this album. Oh, okay. It's like all of 90 seconds, and that's usually more than enough. So that, if that <laughs> shuffles over to it, it's like, all right, cool got that out of my system putting it on beginning to end it's like yeah i hadn't done that in years in fact i i gave my copy of it to my brother who then in turn gave it to somebody else to try to pass the word along right and i bought like a remastered like cd too so i spent like 15 16 bucks on it yeah but then i was just like you know what i i just i don't know i when i was uh at the time especially this going back a number of years i was like I just want people to appreciate this for what it is. And I don't even know if it's like great. It's in some, sometimes I can get the mood that, yeah, this is, this is an amazing thing. And other times it's like, I don't, I don't know what the, 
what the hell I'd be thinking or if I'm just trying to convince myself that it's good. But it is something. And I just I just wanted to share it with other people. Right. And I just wanted... I, I like that, the idea that it's out there. The statement is what I respect about it more than the album itself, I suppose, if I'm being completely honest. It's because it's not something I'll ever put on like casually. Right. I don't know about you, Paul. Where do you, where do you land on it after like really listening to it beginning to end? I think it's great for what it is. You know, I was expecting to be like, oh, it's just noise. But you know, I listened to the whole thing in a row while driving a truck for work the other morning, and uh, yeah, it was like five thirty in the morning. Yeah. Put on some metal machine music, drive a humongous truck on the Pennsylvania Turnpike for an hour. And it was it was perfect for that. That's that's one way to wake you up. Did yeah. you even need yeah. coffee that day? Yeah, it's an NYC espresso is what they call it. <laughs> uh, but you were talking about the CD. I mean, CDs have been around since the 80s, I guess, technically. But this didn't right. make it to CD until the year 2000. Right. Because no, who's going to buy it? Like, yeah, it's it's exactly. But Alu eventually got the rights from Sony and remastered it for his own Sister Ray label. Which I guess Sony bought RCA or combined with RCA at some point. Uh, yeah, in between. Uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll have to track that as we go through because I yeah. honestly don't know the history, but we'll 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 play close attention because uh, after doing Coney Island Baby, that's the last one, and then not counting the uh, greatest hits record, that's the mm. end of his uh, RCA, RCA days Bones? for a okay. while. For a while, then he moves on to Arista. Oh right, and then well, I'll I'll detail that whole thing yeah, as we, we get, get it there. as we get there, but. For right now, this is like toward the very end of his days with RCA. There's actually a really good photo of a teenage uh, Thurston Moore holding up the record and like acting like he's snapping his fingers along to it. <laughs> and uh, I posted it on our Instagram just in the stories of A, and then Thurston reposted it. Oh, no kidding. So, so we got a bunch of new likes. All that. right. So, all right. You're doing the Lord's work for uh, us. New today, followers. Paul. Hello, new followers. Hey, Thurston but, uh, Moore. How you doing? I mean, more with the influence in 1991, Neil Young put out Ark, which is like a 35 minute album of just feedback and noise. And then in 1998, Sonic Youth did uh, Silver Session, which is a room, room full of amps and guitar feedback. Yeah. Uh, basically the same idea with more equipment. Now, there's uh, pictures of equipment on the back of the record. It looks like guitar pedals and stuff. It just looks cool. He didn't use any yeah. of that stuff. All the it. specifications uh, put printed on the album are, are phonies. Right. It, it's it, Which leads to like the whole, like, this is a joke. This is a fuck you to, to, to people. And it's a yes and no. That's the thing. It's it, it is it is a joke, but it, at the same time, he very much intends it as like an artistic statement. At the same time, I, I have a I have a couple of quotes from Lou as we go through. One of the ones right here, I'll just say from 1978. He says, "quote It was running a real risk. I wasn't going to make any more records after that. That was going to be it. I didn't care about backlash from retailers or jobbers. I love that." Or all the rest of the stuff I was learned about. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was going to finish recording, leave it at that. I would have been perfectly content. This is what, where you people are, business people in particular. You want to play games? You almost killed me, but you're not going to. So here you go with it. End quote. That's great. <laughs> I love that. There's a lot of good quotes from oh, Lou yeah. about this record. Um, let's see what else I have here. All right, this one from Lou that I like. I'm not going to apologize to anybody. They should be grateful I put that fucking thing out. If they don't like it, they can go eat rat shit. I make records for me. There you go. Like, Hell yeah. I, I like a... Like, I don't know. I, you know what? This is this is a small side, but like people like sometimes go off about certain bands that are just like, they love their fans so much. They just they just love their fans. Right, they're right. the nicest people ever. And to some degree, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that could be nice. But I always secretly kind of like a guy that's just going to be his own fucking thing 
where the, sometimes any physically, person physically fight their fans at a show. There, there could like be that. that. Not like GGL. But there's I mean, there's know. fighting your fans, but then just being like verbally combative, right? You yeah. know, and I I think that's where I land on, and that's always what I always makes me sort of like have like an evil grin when I think about Lou, especially in this time period. He is like at his most like he's getting into the very smug era. That, like that's coming up right after this where it's like it's like yeah i know i'm hot shit of course i'm yeah, Lou yeah. fucking reed american Dude. express commercials that, that, motor scooter that's commercials another 10 years and... that's gonna be another 10 years oh, right, from we'll, now we'll but get to those that's it that's sellout lou reed but oh, like this is, but this reed. is so smug great. lou reed which is where i'm kind of at smug asshole lou reed which, that's the era coming up uh another more recent quote from lou as the years went by this is from 2007 and he told pitchfork the myth is sort of better than the truth. The myth is that I made it to get out of a recording contract. Okay, but the truth is that I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't want you to buy a record that I really didn't like, that I was just trying to do a legal thing with. I wouldn't do something like that. The truth is that I really, really, really loved it. Which I think may be true. I think especially at that point when he was ma- making that statement, that was definitely true. But like, that's, yeah, that's even, what he was into. Yeah, and, was, I'm really into metal machine music, you know. It, like a few years after that, he starts a, a side band called the Metal Machine Trio. Right. And like, uh, with, and we'll we'll cover that a little bit much much later on because there's not there's not a ton to say because they never made a an album proper, but they did perform a bunch of live shows like around 2009, mm-hmm. 2010, and then right 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 after that, it's Metallica. But right. we'll get to that if we get to that. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. He didn't perform it until 2002. Uh, and that was with this German band, Zeitkratzer. Zeitkratzer? Yeah. And that was at a, a festival in Berlin. Uh, and then a few years after that was when they formed the, that side project. It was with Ulrich Krieger and Sarth Calhoun. Now, Sarth Calhoun recorded noise compositions for the stage production of Lulu and did uh, like noisy stuff with the Metallica record. Right. And I played a little bit of that performance of Zeitkratzer. Yes. Yeah, it was like a 10-piece orchestra doing their version of Metal Machine Music. If there's any way to, like... Which is, like, incredible. How do you sit and annotate that for... Inst- you know what I mean? It's, that is... That's yeah, impressive. It me. is impressive. Uh, we'll try to link that up on the Instagram as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll but get like, a video of but, that. But it's, it, it really is a creative way of covering this uh, double album of, like, noise. Oh, another good quote was from... Uh, I really love this quote. Mark Richardson said, it's the sound of electricity falling in love with itself. Like, that's so beautiful in a way, you know? I have another quote. Uh, sure. My goal at the time was to have a keyless album of ever-changing rhythm with no lyric or vocal, pure guitar-driven sound in which to surround and intoxicate yourself. I made it out of love for guitar-driven feedback and the squall of the metal machine. Mm. Very romantic. Yeah. I mean, listening to it, there are changes in it. It's not just static the whole time. You're right. It's there like, are pieces that sounded like waves and seagulls to me. Uh, uh, there's like hints of melody buried in there, but ultimately it's just all random. It's the feedback. It's the feedback feeding back against the other guitar. Probably. Yeah, I hear like what, what into my own ears. It's I hear like a la 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 like yeah, kind of yeah. in there like every so often, and then and then that turns into like a weird squeal, mm-hmm. like like a dot like like a thousand rats dying all at once or something yeah. but it's it's intense and it's and and then that just and then that becomes a i'm not saying yeah about rats dying being a good thing I'm well the sound you know, is good you know i'm sure there are probably some rat loving listeners out there hey man i'll pet a rat rats are cool it's not for me bro i'd have a pet rat i would i'm a cat guy all right <laughs> oh uh some of the reviews just a couple brief things rolling stone called it the tubular groaning of a galactic refrigerator. 
and as displeasing an experience as a night in a bus terminal. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. And it was ranked number two. What, in... what bus terminal were you staying at there, pal? Huh? <laughs> Disrespect bus terminals? How dare you? Yeah. It was ranked number two in the book The Worst Rock and Roll Records of All Time by Jimmy Guterman and Owen O'Donnell. Oh. That's like high honor when you can make that sort of list. Now, yeah. what may have helped his cause is Lou attempted to have it released on RCA's classical label called Red Seal. So, I mean, there was like. Not really noise stuff, but there was like challenging stuff. Like Miles Davis's album Agharta uh, was around the same time, which was really divisive to his fans. There was drone aspects of Velvet Underground in there, kind of. And then like uh, Fripp and Eno had a record around then. I'm blanking on the title. Well, when it did was, like a... more ambient music, than, right? Than noise. When did a uh, Dylan go electric and or Christian? Was that like <laughs> I don't know the time. Judas. <laughs> what what uh? Those special, are separate incidents. I know they're sep- separate decades. I'm just wondering like what special label did they put that stuff on? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, uh, this uh this was a thing where like he was already uh, suing uh, Dennis Katz for like uh, for like thievery okay. during this time, and he had other lawsuits pending at at this time too. It's like Lou Reed was like involved in lawsuits and counter lawsuits so he was losing money during this time period and he threatened to like sue rca when they were trying to like a not release the thing at all because and then and then he was like you know what i uh, i'm honoring our record a record contract right now you have to do it and so they ultimately buckled yeah. and so like he won that fight but like he did not as you said he did not win the fight to get it put on the special imprint mm-hmm it was a whole move that he knew that was probably going to be career su- su- suicide, but at the same time, if if it, it's more of a kamikaze record because he was going to go down in flames, and if, right, he, right. if he could hurt them doing it, despite whatever he would say after the fact, I think there's there's a lot of validity to that idea because they're it, they were treating him like shit. Yeah, and there's a lot of rumors around the story of him showing it to the higher ups at RCA Records. It's hard to know. Just by going through the internet and stuff like oh, what's yeah. true and what's not. It, it's a lot of conflicting stuff even in all the books I've been reading. But like, you know, the executives at RCA, the story is the story is that he goes up there and plays it for them and they're like, What are you talking what is this? Right. And he's like, you know, acting serious and all that, and he has to like duck into a men's room to laugh. You right. Because he can't believe he's getting away with this. <laughs> you had said like he, he mentioned the birth of punk with this album. Shortly afterwards, Punk magazine, issue number one. Legs McNeil drew Lou for the cover of it and then interviewed him in that talking about metal machine music. Very cool. So punk magazine number. Legs McNeil, local guy. He lives around here now. Oh, nice. Like within a half hour of here. Oh. I saw him at Wegmans once. Oh. Best friends with I all the cool guys. Out there. <laughs> Paul's the cool one in this relationship. <laughs> oh, come on. You've met some people. I met Weirdo Yankovic. That's great. I never and, met Weirdo. And uh, Chuck D. Uh, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, oh, that that one. I, I'm I'm happy about both of those. Those were the high, uh, highest caliber of celebrity I think I've ever met. When I was and, a kid, my old, one of my bands opened for Anal Seaward. Really? You know that band? Really? <laughs> you can look them up. Yeah, that was. I'm not going to tell the story on here. It was pretty horrible, for sure. <laughs> so it was also inspiring to Star Trek. Yes, and uh, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with Star Trek, but there's a. It started in uh, the Next Generation. Oh, it's okay. a, and then it continues on into like things like uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, which are shows I'm not as invested in. But mm-hmm. it's a race of aliens called the Breen, and the the voice modulation that they use, it they have to be subtitled on the show, 
because you can't understand them properly. But the idea was that it's metal machine music inspired mm-hmm. because of like how like cacophonous and like and weirdly distorted they sound when right. they're, when they're speaking. So you could sort of hear an English translation, but subtitles will come up on the screen with every like you know interaction with them. We meet at last. They kind of look like oh, they're closer to Battlestar Galactica like robots. The okay. in just the in their dress and everything, mm. but it's Star Trek, so it's it's a little better. Yeah, I've read that the sound staff on the show was told to listen to Metal Machine music for inspiration. Right, and, and who knows if that's true? Uh, well, it it tracks in so much as that like you know they they do have like a a very like coarse way of speaking, right? And it's in their the way it's like sort of cut and pasted together. There's some like a uh, back room like a. Uh, like editing and stuff they did like you know mm-hmm. like in in the making of that show it's, it's cool. creative uh, that's awesome. it's star trek man it's fun i know the original series pretty well i like that a lot that's my thing the no, camp, no. the yeah. campy i know. i dig the camp i'm almost all the way through the original star trek mm. i'm getting there yeah and then the third season. season now the third season oh, yeah. i just watched the gun syndrome i think what the one where okay. they go back they have to go back in time and uh, or like some alien sends them back to like a weak approximation of the OK Corral fight. Oh, right. Okay. And then they they beamed in as, like, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And so Wyatt Earp's trying to kill them. And Doc Holliday are trying to kill Kirk and and uh, Spock and the, and the gang. Yeah, those are always weird when they but that was too. I mean, like, and I know, I understand, as I understand it, the third season, they had, like, next to no money. But, that's, right. but this yeah. is one a particular episode where, like, the budgetary restraints worked in their favor. They defunded the Enterprise. Yeah, they defunded Star Trek. <laughs> Uh, then on Mystery Science Theater 3000, during one episode, Joel Hodgson says watching Mighty Jack was like listening to two hours of Lou Reed's Metal Machine music. And he meant that as a compliment. It's really not that bad, you guys. I, for one, actually feel like I just got done listening to two hours of Lou Reed's Metal Machine music. You know, my brain feels clean as a whistle. And that's pretty good! Yeah. Sort of. Sort of, yes. <laughs> In the original uh, Metal Machine music, there were liner notes. There were no, since there's no uh, songs proper on this album, Lou Reed uh, wrote the liner notes himself. And as is my understanding, he wrote these while extremely high on meth. Passion. Realism. Realism was the key. The records were letters. Real letters from me to certain other people who had and still have basically no music be it verbal or instrumental, to listen to. One of the peripheral effects typically distorted was what was known to be known as heavy metal rock. In reality, it was, of course, diffuse, obtuse, weak, boring, and ultimately an embarrassment. This record is not for parties slash dancing slash background romance. This is what I meant by real rock about real things. No one I know has listened to it all the way through, including myself. It is not meant to be. Start any place you like. Symmetry, mathematical, precision, obsessive, and detailed accuracy, and the vast advantage one has over modern electronic composers. They, with neither sense of time, melody, or motion, manipulated or no, it's for a certain time and place of mind. It is the only recorded work I know of, seriously done as well as possible, as a gift. 
if one could call it that, from a part of certain head to a few others. Most of you won't like this, and I don't blame you at all. It's not meant for you. At the very least, I made it so I had something to listen to. Certainly misunderstood. Power to consume. How pathetic. An idea done respectfully, intelligently, sympathetically, and graciously. Always with concentration on the first and foremost goal. For that matter, off the record, I love it and adore it. I'm sorry, but not especially, if it turns you off. One record for us and it. I'd harbored hope that the intelligence that once inhabited novels or films would ingest rock. I was perhaps wrong. This is the reason Sally can't dance, your rock and roll animal. More than a decent try, but hard for us to do badly. Wrong media, unquestionably. This is not meant for the market. The agreement one makes with speed. A specific acknowledgement. A, to say the least, very limited market. Rock and Roll Animal makes this possible, funnily enough. The misrepresentation succeeds to the point of making possible the appearance of the progenitor. For those of whom the needle is no more than a toothbrush. Professionals, no sniffers please, don't confuse superiority, no competition, with violence, power, or the justifications. The tacit speed agreement with self we did not start World War One, Two, or Three, or the Bay of Pigs, for that matter. Whenever. As a way of disclaimer, I am forced to say, due to stimulation of various centers, remember OM, etc. The pa- possible negative contradictions must be pointed out. A record has to, of all things, anyway, hypertense people, etc. Possibility of epilepsy, petite mal. Psychic motor disorders, etc., etc. My week beats your year. Lou Reed. And the Academy recognizes. So one more thing about the locked groove at the end of the album that makes it repeat those couple seconds. Um, there's a lot of other albums that have done it. Uh, the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper, the UK version has it. Uh, Slayer's Rain and Blood, Modest Mouse, the vinyl copies of Moon and Antarctica, Sonic Youth's Evil... What else do we have? Uh, the James Gang had your album. Uh, at the end of side one, there was a voice that would say, turn me over on repeat. And then on side two, it would say, play me again on repeat, which I thought was pretty clever. What creeps. Uh, <laughs> Rush's Fly By Night, Pink Floyd's Adam Hart Mother. There's a solo album by Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth. Uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor has one on one of their records, Flaming Lips. There's probably a whole bunch I didn't find online, but... That's more than I realized. Yeah, yeah. I honestly think thought a metal machine was completely unique to do that, but that's, right. But still, it was just noise. It wasn't so much like that's still a pretty remarkable. It's it's a neat trick. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Paul, you did an experiment. Uh, you tried to uh, recreate your own version of metal machine music. You covered it. Is a rendition. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it wasn't an hour long. I just decided to do a little over five minutes. Now, yeah. uh, how could you uh, explain how uh, you uh, went about it? Because uh, I, I saw you do it, but then even I don't fully understand like what was going on, what the process was. So just... right, we went to um, the Polish Club, which is a music venue in uh, Phoenixville, PA, a very small one. They do a lot of hardcore shows, um, so we used their stage, and I used my guitar amp. First, actually, let me um, go over. It's it's most people say that uh, metal machine music 
it was done in Lou's loft, like we said before, with three guitars, two amps, and recorded on a four-track analog tape machine. Uh, what I did was one guitar, one amp, on one laptop computer. Technology! But I did three tracks of uh, feedback and noise. Well, it was a thing. I, I saw you, like, you did it, like, three different times, like right. like a version of it, and then it was, like, sort of, and then what ultimately is, like, sort of cobbled together from that is, like, a is sort of like a rendition of it. Right. Is what I was what I'm like gathering as as you I guess you could say I overdubbed three right. five minute tracks. And right. I'm not gonna edit them, uh you know, I'll do I'll adjust the volume of each one because they were like clipping like crazy because it was just basically hung a microphone in front of the speaker cone and just went nuts for, you know, the better part of a half an hour. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty fun cool. to do. So uh I guess for the technical stuff I used a Fender Jaguar guitar, uh and then the only effects I used was fuzz war, fuzz pedal, and uh, two of the tracks I backed that up with a rat distortion pedal. But then the battery died when I was going to do the third take, so I just went through the fuzz war for the third take. All right, so uh, should we play a little bit of uh, of what uh, you ended up uh, recording there? Oh, yeah, you guys are in for a treat. Yeah, so... Uh, so if- this is my Metal Machine music. Take take warning because <laughs> your 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 drums may suffer. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's a little <laughs> ugly. <laughs>
Okay, and we're back. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. I'm glad you came and, and checked it out too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, on Destroy All uh, Radio the Instagram. We we posted uh, some some uh, clips of, of of that thing as well. You can see Paul in action. Yeah, I guess we'll repost those when this comes out. Yes. Too. So yeah, totally. See me. Uh, and it was just fun. It was fun to do. It was really loud. I think I was deaf in my right ear for, for close to a week afterwards. But It's a good time. No, it was awesome. So I guess we can go over a few quotes we had about Metal Machine Music. I wanted to do Metal Machine Music way back as far as 12 years before I did make it, but I couldn't do it until I finally did because at that time there wasn't the proper mixing and mastering that makes the record what it is. It would have been a poor product, and I don't give my fans poor products. I give them the best I can do, and always what they deserve for their money, but also putting up with my bullshit. <laughs> I like that. Um, then another one from him. Um, this is much later on in an interview, talking about Metal Machine music. I did tons of shows with the Velvet Underground where we would leave our guitars against the amps and just walk away. The guitars would feed back forever, like they were alive. Metal Machine music was just me doing that. Lots of it. Yeah. That's that's totally right. We yeah. did we did talk a little bit about it. That that was a Velvet Underground thing. This yeah, is it's just, and the, yeah. this this whole thing is just it's a natural conclusion of like of what what had been started in the Velvet Underground for sure. Right. You know, and it's something really. He just he st- he he loved to go to like extreme extreme points of noise and insert in Western cultures it's a little unheard of, but as we were talking before, like in Japan, they loved it because it's the Middle it, East. Middle East, yeah. it's it's just on a different part of the world. It's there is something there's something more to that like sort of loud droney noise, mm-hmm. you know that that like you you hear in some of their some of the music that's found over there. Right, a lot of layers of the same note, right? You know, repeating, yeah. It's or chanting. It's all it's all part of that. This like is the, just like the strings in certain Velvet Underground, right? Uh, the early tracks, definitely. And then it's like, yeah, everybody wanted, uh, uh, you know, this pop album or R&B album like the last one. Because, like, we were talking about earlier, um, this is his seventh album on RCA Records in three years, which is mind-boggling yeah. today. And yeah. he's and he's like going to... The Clash had a lot of output in a short amount of time, but, like, seven in three years is pretty ridiculous. The 70s was definitely, like, a major creative output for Lou yeah. and David Bowie as well and sure. a, lot of, a lot of other people. The 70s just work got done because... They were fucked up, and like in Lou's case, especially, he was he's running on crank the entire time. Yeah. One last thing, well, let's uh, leave some uh, words from uh, Lester, Mr. Lester Bangs. Oh, him again? This is a, a record that like was panned by critics. In fact, one other thing, uh, Lou's favorite uh, review uh, from Billboard magazine: recommended cuts none. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lester Bangs, Lou Reed's official like greatest enemy at this point like post like a uh, rachel disparaging right he uh he actually liked metal machine music quite a bit and uh this is from an essay called uh, monolith or monotone lou reed's metal machine music i have a few theories concerning this new lou reed album one in general lou is not excessively fond of other members of the human race so this album is or wants to be some kind of ultimate antisocial act when the mc5 debuted John Sinclair said that they wanted that they and their music would make you feel it or leave the room. Lou wants to make music that'll make you feel it and leave the room. Hmm. 
That way he can be happy, alone with his machines. Has he succeeded? No. But every, everybody stayed put when it came on. They chuckled at it and went back to their chores. If Lou really wants to get into irritation scientifically, he should study the work of somebody like Sparks. He has succeeded in taking a hissing Muzak whiz. Perhaps I should mention that I like this record. Why? Because I am an insect death buff. 2. Just because it, it's only an A-head playing around with an electric, electronics and tape recorders doesn't mean it isn't valid. There is a rising line of aggression running through European Sun. I heard her call my name, Sister Ray, and the Stooges' Funhouse album, which finally achieved psychosis in metal machine music, and Lou plays an amplifier as well as he plays guitar. 3. You know when you get so tense and anxiety-ridden that all nerves at the back of your neck snarl up into one burning ball? Well, if that gland could make music, it would sound like this album. 4. This is what it sounds like in Lou's circulatory system. I do like that one. Yeah. Uh, 5. Most of the people who buy metal machine music are going to be pretty mad at Lou, but it's an even bigger joke on RCA and the ultimate fall guy is the artist himself, because what we are witnessing here is commercial suicide. Sally Can't Dance was was the first and probably only Lou Reed album to go top 10. The collection of outtakes from Rock and Roll Animal he marketed last spring was proficient, but too ballady for a live album and generally inferior to its predecessor. Even hard for, hardcore fans, like your reporter, who is something more in the realm of a fanatic, found themselves playing it a couple of times and filling it. Animal was a real sleeper on the charts, helping to break Lou on radio in many areas previously hostile to quote-unquote glam rock, like the South, but live, meaning Lou Reed live, after resting it at a hearty, awe-inspiring 62 for a couple of weeks, died fast. Now he's put out this migraine, which will get zero radio play and bomb so bad it'll make Berlin look like an Elton John album. Yikes. All of which will ensure that the buyers will stay away in droves when he releases his next set of quote-unquote songs, Coney Island Baby, in September. It actually didn't come out till December, but whatever. It's refreshing that the guy's not content to merely grind out one album a year, but do you suppose that all this frenzied pseudo-activity is Lou's ter- terrified reaction to having, just once in his life, climbed far enough from his quote-unquote street punk roots, parentheses, pretensions, to make top ten? In any case, a death wish is being fulfilled before our eyes, corporately. And then uh, final note uh, six. Anybody who doesn't jack off at least three times a day is, is a queer. Wow. That's just, it, it was a different time, yeah. right? It was just such a great different time. 1975, everybody. Well, I think some of that, I think some of that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's not totally invalid. He makes a good villain for this podcast. He really does. I, I don't know <laughs> root for the bad guy, but there are certain parts of that I'm like, all right, that was pretty well written. For, that, yeah, even I give it credit. I, I think I just, I like, uh, I like what he's saying so in so much as that, like, He's 100% right that it's a commercial suicide-like right. thing, maybe even career. And from especially at that time, it would seem like that. Because Berlin was sort of a commercial suicide record because it was just so, like, it's, it's, it's so mean, mean-spirited yeah, yeah. And, and, and dense and just no singles there, no, no real singles that, like, would right. get radio play. But this is, like, way, way worse than that. He's right. So, like, in terms of, like, you know, anything that, like, the average, you know, 
person in in the Western Hemisphere could could take, as right. we were discussing. It's it's an art album though, and at least Bluster Bangs recognized it as such in his own screwed up, pretentious way of dis- defining it. He's right. It it is an artistic statement. Yeah. So. Other than that, you know. That's from the Lester Bangs Reader? What's that called again? Yes. Uh, if you check out uh, Main Lines, Blood Feasts, and Bad Taste, a Lester Bangs Reader, that uh, you can find that essay in there, along with a lot of other ones. They're pretty decent. Although, you know, he's he is just like a villain. You're right. right. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And like Almost Famous, who, who's the actor? Oh, it's uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Feisty Ho. I think they make him too like likable. You know I, what I mean? That's the thing. I think that was my introduction. <laughs> he doesn't to have a mustache. Banks. I don't think. No, I mean, like I love right. Philip Seymour Hoffman and just about oh, everything. Yeah. Like no matter what he's playing, he could and he could have played a more of a villainous in that movie than he does. But he's only in that movie for like it's maybe brief. ten minutes yeah. tops. So you know, it's just it's just a like get in, get out of there, and it's cool. It's cool. Speaking of, did you ever see Pirate Radio? No, that's something I've been. Me- My stepfather loved it. I've never watched it all the way through. But Is he in that movie? He's in that movie, but okay. that's that's speaking to like that was a thing, a real incident in England where a guy made a pirate radio station to right offshore, offshore, yeah. yeah, and it's just in the mu- in the musical realm. I I don't know. Sorry to even bring it up. It's just just on the brain. It's I will it's check mo- it out. A movie. I I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> I just know it exists. <laughs> well, listeners, what do you think? Yeah. Let us know on Destroy All Radio Inc. <laughs> Instagram. Yeah, we're still just doing Instagram, I guess, because yeah. it's like, what, why would we get a Twitter? We'll get there. Maybe uh, only your grandma uses Facebook anymore, so I don't know. We're we're just doing the Instagram for now. Yeah. Okay, so I guess that'll do it for quote unquote season one. Yes, uh, first six episodes. The... So we're gonna take a break for a little while and work on season two, and we'll be back with Coney Island Baby, Rock and Roll Heart, mm-hmm. Street Hassle. The live record, Lou Reed Live, Take No Prisoners. Right. The Bells. Mm. And then we close out nineteen the 1970s into the 1980s. And also the end of Lou Reed's uh, drug addiction albums uh, with Growing Up in Public, which is the record I did not listen to prior to like starting this podcast. Oh, okay. So um, and I've, I've, heard, I've heard a little bit since, and I really can't wait to talk about all these albums. These are all going to be really, really cool to talk about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, that'll get us through the 70s in Season 2. All right. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you enjoyed what you heard, please tell all your friends and give us a positive review on iTunes. If we missed something you think we should have covered, please send us a DM on Instagram. We're at DestroyAllRadioInc, I-N-C, and uh, let us know, and we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode. Talking Lou is brought to you by Destroy All Radio Inc. You okay there? Yeah, I just moved my keys and I made a noise. <laughs> Everything's Demir. Everything's Jamiroquai with this guy, De Niro. <laughs>